Sportsman Hot Stove, Rob Wong, Ryan Dixon, and Mark Boffa with you on this Saturday morning. Vic Palladian is our technical director. Here with you until noon as the Toronto Maple Leafs back at it tonight. The Battle of Ontario set to square off against the Senators in the nation's capital tonight. You can watch that, of course, on Hockey Night in Canada. Face-off set for 7 o'clock. Jack Campbell will get the start in that one. Meanwhile, we, of course, keeping an eye on the All-Star festivities in Chicago in the NBA as a lot of Raptors set to take part. Of course, Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, head coach Nick Nurse, the skills competition. All-Star Saturday night will go this evening at 8 o'clock on Sportsnet 1. We will touch on that coming up later in the program as well. We'll talk some NHL as uh, it's been a busy weekend in the uh, world of the Toronto Maple Leafs gentlemen as they, uh, of course, make that trade last week, bringing in Jack Campbell, Kyle Clifford, and Jack Campbell will get the start once again tonight. And so far, so good for uh, Mr. Campbell, Ryan, as uh, you know, he mentioned it off the top when he came to Toronto. He's a little bit nervous speaking to the media for the first time. There's a lot of people in this city covering uh, this team, something that he's not particularly uh, used to. But uh, outside of a, a few spots here and there, the nerves haven't shown themselves too much. It looks like he's gotten acclimated pretty quickly. And it's always cool when you see, you know, guys come in, whether it's Jack Campbell or Kyle Clifford. You know, Clifford, of course, an Ontario native, but Jack Campbell growing up in what Michigan, I think it was. Uh, he, he didn't want to say that he was a Red Wings fan, but obviously <laughs> was a Red Wings fan growing up. But he was saying his parents were super excited that he was going to an original six team, six team he as well. And it always just reminds you of how special it is for a lot of people to put on um, the blue and white, even for people that aren't from Ontario, but just understand the impact that, you know, this franchise has. And it's, a, you know, a pillar and a cornerstone franchise in the National Hockey League. I'm sure I'm not the only one who plays the game when you're uh, sitting back and closing your eyes and going, if I was in the NHL, what life would I want? The life where... I could play hockey, make a jillion dollars and go to the grocery store and not be bothered by anyone and live in a warm climate. That sounds pretty great. Or would you want to go for what you're referencing, the energy that you can get, the vibe that just can't be replicated um, when, you know, the, the charge that comes with playing in Toronto, in Canada, I mean... Probably some U.S. hockey markets, but let's face it, it's still not going to be the same out there on the street as it is where you're playing in places where people live it and breathe it. And I think, you know, it's understandable that that would make you a little nervous. But I think once you get the lay of the land a little bit, talk to uh, a buddy like Jake Muzzin, who can tell you what it's been like the past uh, 12 months for him here after coming over from the Kings. Uh, You know, there's the upside to playing in a place like Toronto or or in Canada is huge. Now, obviously, it comes with the downside of when things aren't so great. Uh, all of a sudden, you're looking around going, man, there's a lot of people here asking questions. But um, I, think, I think people can get a real charge out of it. I mean, we saw how uh, amped up Clifford was, of course. I mean, there are... Uh, you know, this is the the most populous uh, province in, in a hockey-mad country. So there's a lot of kids who grow up here not only dreaming of playing in the NHL but playing for the Leafs. So uh, when it happens, I think it's a, a pretty b- huge thrill for those guys. Yeah, it definitely is. And look, we all growing up uh, in this area, of course, wanting to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. If you have you know aspirations of one day playing pro hockey, but it's nothing like playing in New York with the Rangers or Chicago with the Blackhawks. Any of those original six teams, right? There's still something that stands out outside of people that live in you know certain areas. You don't you know grow up being like man. One day I want to be a Tampa Bay Lightning or an Anaheim Duck. Like I know well, those teams haven't been around now, as much. But, but yes, but you're maybe, right. Yeah, and in those areas for sure. Um, you know, specifically 
specifically out west. We know that the game is growing in uh, the western part of the U.S. Uh, with teams out there. I mean, Austin Matthews growing up in, in uh, Arizona, and we see where he's gone to uh, this point. But uh, it is pretty cool always to uh, see uh, NHL players get excited when they uh, come to one of the original six teams, and specifically here in Toronto with the uh, Maple Leafs. So the Leafs 5-4-1 uh, in their last 10, but they are holding on to a playoff spot right now, sitting third in that Atlantic division Mark, and you and I were talking about this before the show about how, you know, the Maple Leafs have been having some tough starts of late. They've been giving up the early goal. It's something that's uh, actually plagued them for, you know, large parts of this season. And, you know, I guess we can arbitrarily move the goalposts of, you know, are they giving up a goal in the first two minutes or three minutes? Like, what does that all mean? Like, it's not good to be giving up the first goal or giving up goals at the beginnings of periods, because uh, that means, um, you know, especially at the first period means you're playing from behind and you're, uh, as Mike Babcock used to say, you're, you're chasing the game. And that's something that you don't um, want to do. But I thought the other night was an interesting example where the Maple Leafs, you know, despite all their faults and a couple of lapses, they're still in that game, and they lose it by one goal to a team that, you know, depending on who you want to talk to, is a Stanley Cup contender within the Dallas Stars and a team with the way they can play defense, with the type of goal scorers they have. So for me, I think a lot of the struggles that the Maple Leafs have gone through have been going through of lately, even, you know, dating back to when Sheldon Keefe first took over and they were trying to figure everything out. You take the totality of everything. This is still a team that has one of the 10 best records since November 21st, since Sheldon Keefe took over. And despite some of these little lapses along the way, they're still a very good team playing very good hockey. Um, you can't take these one game samples and just have a referendum on them. And I feel like that's what a lot of people are doing right now. Well, I mean, you know, it's Toronto, it's, it's the Leafs. So you're going to get the armchair GMs and coaches coming out, but yeah, I think it, the thing that's frustrating is that this team has enough talent to come back in any game that they're in. So why not just get off to a good start? You know, like I, I, I agree with you, Rob. It's it's hockey. You know, it's not all. Sometimes it's not always about your team. You're facing an opponent, and if they come in and get off to a hot start, have a good shift, and keep you on your toes, and and get the first goal. Sometimes you just have to give credit where it's due. But I think it's been a little bit frustrating this past week where. You're seeing them uh, scramble against the Habs last Saturday. Uh, they give up the goal, end up losing in overtime. Then they face the Coyotes. Again, just an early goal to start that game. They come back and win it in overtime. But again, you're you're playing with fire, and it's a team you should beat, the Arizona Coyotes. Um, and I believe the Coyotes might have even been on the second game of a back-to-back that, that night, so I'm not even sure. But... That game should have been shouldn't have been as close, but that's what happens when you're facing these teams like the Coyotes and the Stars. Like they, they can just shut down on you. And if you're and if you are a la Babcock saying chasing the game, and they have that one goal lead on you early on, uh, they're playing tight defensive hockey right now. So it's just it's tough to come back from. And you know, even the most talented teams, uh, you know, you don't want to get that goal from Zach Hyman with a minute left in the third to bring it within one. You want it. You want to tie up the game right there. So I agree with you. You can't really just take these small sample sizes and say it's the end of the world. But when it kind of happens in back-to-back games, I think it is a – and you're still fighting for the playoff position. I think it is a bit of a concern. And I, and I 
clearly do believe there are flaws with this team, Ryan. I don't think anybody believes this team is perfect by any means. There's holes on this roster. There's holes in, you know, the way they play at certain times. There's there's issues with that. But I feel like there's a lot of moments where we get caught, you know, just watching the Toronto Maple Leafs so often that we think, like, this is the only thing, uh, you know, these things happen only to the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're the only team that's not getting a save at the right time. They're, only, they're the only team that's getting hemmed in their own zone for 45 seconds. But, you know, you know this, watching a lot of NHL hockey, I know this is well, looking around the league happens in every game. There's a lot of teams that are good that in the third period, when they're up a goal or two, they sometimes give up those game tying goals. We saw it the other night, probably why Bruce Boudreaux got fired. Minnesota's up three, one late on the Rangers and they come back and beat one of the best defensive teams in the league. Um, and you know, Bruce Boudreaux gets fired the next day. This, this happens. Um, but I feel sometimes in this Toronto vacuum, we think, ah, oh, this only happens to the Leafs where, you know, every time there's a breakaway or there's, there's a, you know, in zone breakdown defensively that the puck ends up in the back and that happens to a lot of other teams in the NHL, a lot of good ones too. No doubt. I mean, uh, part of it is this is all relative to expectations and it's against the backdrop of this is supposed to be the year where they really push forward and here we are and they're in a life and death battle to get in the playoffs. So we're actually not used to feeling such high stakes with this team at this point in the year, right? They've been able to put their feet up more or less the past couple of years by this point, knowing a playoff spot was locked in. So people are just practicing getting tense a little early here. I think, I mean, the Leafs to me are just a team that I know if I flip it on and the five minutes have gone by in the first period and the Leafs are up to nothing or down to nothing, I just know this is still going to be a game, right? Like that's the team they are. If they're down, they're probably going to find a way to make it close. And if they're up, don't go anywhere because there's a good chance the other team is going to dominate the second period and and it's going to be close again. So, I mean, your point is well taken. Yes, it is easy to get lost in uh, in your own team, I, the swings might be a little more pronounced with these guys sometimes, I think, just on the nature of, I mean, there, there's times that, you know, they, they're an absolutely breathtaking team at times when you see Marner just tear over the blue line, do a spinorama backhand pass that goes right on the tape and someone wires it home. But there is times where you watch them in their own end and you're like, my God, like, how does their coach sleep at night? Like, yeah. what are they going to do here? So I, I think... Uh, the highs and lows are going to continue to be really felt. And again, I think a lot of this is just because it's already two-year nail time. It's already like every game that they don't win makes you think, oh my God, are they going to miss the playoffs if you're a fan? And, yeah. they, you know, that's that's what people are bringing to it. Well, it's that lack of cons- consistency, right? I think that's that's what you're getting at. That. And And I find every, especially in 2020, since the calendar flipped, every time you think the Leafs have got it figured out, something bad happens. They come out of the All-Star game and two tough games on the road where I was looking at that thinking where they are in the playoff chase right now, if they lose to desperate Nashville and the Dallas team you just mentioned, they're in trouble. And they come out and boom, two big road wins. Uh, and then they can't really build on it from there, right? Like yeah. they they end up with, you know, an overtime win over Ottawa, another bad loss to Florida, you know, the 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 straw that broke the camel's back uh, in the Rangers for Hutchinson. And, you know, an unsatisfying win over Anaheim. Like, every time you're like, oh, here we go, then it's a week of one and two or, you know, where they they leave points on the table like it felt like they did in Montreal. So I think there's just hasn't been that, like, you know, ever since Keith K or or ever since Keith initially came in and they surge since that point, 
there hasn't been like the three weeks that make you go, okay, everything's cool. Yeah, just flashes here and there where yeah. you're like, okay, I, I can see where this is going. And then it's like, nah, this is not working out um, with this uh, way that they're playing tonight. Uh, but in the end, I think, Mark, what we're looking at right now, and, and I think a lot of people are pointing the finger at it, is goaltending. And Frederick Anderson, outside of that month of November, I think I saw yesterday someone tweet that he has an 897 save percentage. And that's like minusculely worse than uh, Michael Hutchinson, who I think has an 898. So that just shows you um, how poor Frederick Anderson has been at times. We know with goaltending, you know, it's voodoo, right? That's what we always say. There's no rhyme or reason. Sometimes a guy is just struggling and all of a sudden he picks it up. I think of, you know, we look at Columbus right now with what's going on with Elvis Merlinkins. That guy was terrible for like the first two months of the NHL season. Now he's like the best goalie in the National Hockey League and has carried this Blue Jackets team into a playoff spot. So, yeah, Frederick Anderson might be looking bad right now, but who's to say come Sunday he doesn't have a 35-save shutout? And uh, here we are once again with Frederick Anderson. I think we all know the type of ability that this guy has just for whatever reason. It's it's not working out with him right now. We're going to see Jack Hamill get the start tonight on the front end of a back-to-back, which is you know was pretty rare under Mike Babcock, of course. It was always Freddie Anderson... Uh, uh, getting the first crack and then uh, you know you kind of pray for whoever's in uh, goal the second night but uh, I, I don't want to start a goalie controversy because I know some people are thinking that right now with the way Jack Campbell is Frederick Anderson's your number one you're, you're playing him the rest of the way as much as possible but do you have concerns right now about uh, Frederick Anderson and what you've seen you know what I don't really have concerns about it um Talking about tonight's game, I actually would have liked to have seen Anderson go inside tonight instead of against Buffalo tomorrow. I think it's important. I think it would have been an, a nice move to get him two consecutive games in a row just to kind of shake the rust off a bit after, you know, being on the shelf for those couple of games. And, you know, it doesn't really have much to do for the opponent for me. I mean, Ottawa and Buffalo flip a coin. They're both kind of scuffling there. So it's really... I just really would have liked to have seen him get two games in a row there. But I think when you're mentioning Hutchinson and the stats and how Anderson's play as of of late is just a bit, you know, is similar to Hutchinson's. I think for the team, it's a lot, it's a lot of it's mental. You know, you have, they, they're familiar with Freddie. They, they know the sample size. They know that he can be counted on more often than not. And then I think it's just a thing where it's like, you know, it's a bit deceiving because the stats are the same, but they just feel more comfortable with Anderson in there as opposed to Hutchinson, who who has let in some bad goals. But I'm with you; he hasn't been um, he hasn't been up to you know up to par with, like he normally ha- like he normally is. But like I'm giving him a bit of a pass in the last game just because he did come back from a from an injury, and you know we didn't know exactly you know it was bad enough that they had to go out and get Jack Campbell just cuz you didn't know the severity of it and and whatever so i i'm concerned but like there's a lot more than just Freddie Anderson that that i'm concerned about about the team like i don't think to pin it on him or just the goaltending in general is fair because even in the games where Jack Campbell was you know against Anaheim and whatnot like in the next day against the Canadians I thought the Leafs played a, a better game, but it's just, I just feel like it's, when one thing's going, something else is dropping off a little bit, you know what I mean? So I, I'm, it's just the inconsistency, like you said, just all comes around to that. Like, they're playing better, and then like, under Keefe, and then Riley goes down, and Anderson goes down, and say what you want about Cody Cece, and, but he goes down, you know, it's like a lot of, you know, whether you're playing well or not, like it's a lot of turnover at a single time for a team that, you know, is treading water in a playoff spot right now. I I don't want to throw gas on 
uh, Rob's goalie controversy fire here. But <laughs> again, I mean, if Jack Campbell has a great game tonight, you know, it's this be a is all I was going to say weak, right? Like they you're, you're going to give Freddie Anderson the benefit of the doubt for at least a, a week. But when you're life and death for the playoffs, you can't mess around, especially a team that we know depends on saves, right? So, I mean, the pro Anderson camp is going to look back at the past few years and just go, you know, 919, 918, 918, 917. Those are his past four year-end save percentages. He is remarkably consistent in where he lands. So, you you know, there's uh, a natural tendency to think he's going to bump up his save percentage 10 points and finish the year strong because he just always seems to land in that area. But... You know, with every point being so important, yeah, if Campbell, who was a very good goalie last year for the LA Kings, comes in, you know, if he turns away 39 and they win 2-1 in Ottawa and Anderson doesn't look good in Buffalo, yeah, I don't think you're too far away from a conversation about, well, we've, we've got to play the guy with a hot hand. We don't have a choice. Yeah, and maybe that's what ultimately happens if we get to that point where maybe you're just giving Campbell a few more starts here and there as opposed to just cementing him as the number one and, and sure. having Freddie Anderson as uh, as the backup. But, you know, by all accounts, Freddie Anderson, well-liked guy in the room. I, I can't imagine something like that would go over too great, even if it's a case where, like but you losses said, don't go over great, losses right? don't go over great either. And, and it's, you know, one of those weird things. We've all played sports and we've all been in teams. And I kind of equated this last year, you know, when Patrick Marlowe um, was having his rough run and, you know, in the playoffs and things went south. It was, it's like, you know, we all played in sports where we like Jimmy. He's great. But we don't want him out there when the game's on the line. Like, he's a nice guy in between, sure. like, <laughs> you, you, outside the lines. But inside the lines, we'd rather have Joe out you, there playing the tough minutes and playing the, the important minutes. You so. know, the, the famous Scotty Bowman story, I forget which habit was in the late 70s, who everyone loved him. He was such a good guy, couldn't get in the lineup. You know, coach, you got to put him in. Coach, you got to put him in. One day, he called the whole team around at center right and said, guys, I couldn't agree more. We're going to put this guy in. Raise your hand if you want to come out of the lineup conversation stopped pretty quick, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> exactly. the guys want to be out there. They, they want to win. They want to be uh, competitive night in, night out. And, you know, for Freddie Anderson, it's got to be tough. Uh, it's, you know, a situation where he knows he's the number one guy and uh, he needs to be relied on. But right now, just not able to give the uh, Maple Leafs any t- big time saves like he has been able to do over the last couple of years. I wanted to get to Mark's point about the injuries. And, you know, that's something that doesn't seem to have gotten a, a ton of play this year. You know, Mitch Marner goes down at one point. John Tavares with the finger. Riley, CeCe, Anderson, uh, Andres Johnson a couple of times now. And, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are, are key players, Tavares Marner specifically. Um, and at points, the Maple Leafs have been able to, to weather those storms. But, you know, this is something this team hasn't really dealt with a lot outside of Austin Matthews occasionally. They've been a pretty healthy squad um, and have been pretty lucky in that regard. Uh, but this year, they just have never been able to have that full healthy lineup. I don't think they have at all. And I didn't even mention, you know, Ilya Mikheyev yep. uh, was a really important piece before he went down. So, you know, that's a factor, not saying that's an excuse for this team because, you know, like I said, they've still been playing well under Sheldon Keefe since he took over, but uh, these are some pretty big losses. I mean, you look at right now with Morgan Riley being out, uh, I think they could use him right now. He might not be the greatest defensive player, but offensively at times, that's a guy that you can trust out there. Um, and, you know, it's just a situation where you wonder if this team was fully healthy, would they be in a situation like they are? Maybe they would, but I'm not sure. Where do, where do you stand well, on that? Well, it's definitely taken a toll, and I think if you're an optimistically fan you're kind of saying just get into the playoffs and hopefully everyone's back at that point and all of a sudden at the most important time of the year you're running your best team out there I mean there's no question that I mean you you rhymed off the names on on this team that's already 
uh, got so many questions on the blue line, like the Muzzin and, and Riley injuries. There's no question that they took a toll. But the good news is, with the exception of Mikheyev, all the very important guys would seem to be back and ready to go. I guess, I mean, I'm basically talking about uh, Morgan Riley for sure. Um, when the playoffs start, you know, you expect that barring future injuries, you're going to have the most important guys not only back, but having played a number of games already to get back in the swing of things. If you're the Leafs, you're you're hoping that, you know, your healthiest time of year just coincides with spring. You're just depending on people to play outside of their role. And without Muzzin, without Riley, you're depending way more on the Justin Halls of the world who, you know, are are great for what they're getting paid and for, you know, what their typical role is on the team. But, you know, you can't have... You can't have guys that you're slotting in on to be your, you know, bottom pair D playing top minutes and then not expect some sort of drop off. Right? right. So it's just I just think Ryan's absolutely right. You just hope to sneak in at this point. You know, you can't really care if it's a wild card or you get one of the divisional seeds. You just have to get in and then hopefully everybody comes back healthy and then everybody kind of slots into where they belong. All right, well, because of those injuries, the Maple Leafs have uh, some potential cap money that could be used before the trade deadline. When we return, we'll uh, chat about that and uh, who might be some targets for this Maple Leafs team. That's coming up on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Ryan Dixon, Mark Boffo here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Dixon, Mark Boffa with you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We are nine days away from the NHL trade deadline. February 24th, we'll have wall-to-wall coverage here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan on Sportsnet, of course, and uh, online at sportsnet.ca. It's always a busy time of the year for uh, us here at Sportsnet. And I don't know about you guys, but there's a lot of names out there, as there always are. Are we expecting a ton of activity this year? Uh, you know, with the institution of the two, two wild cards, we know teams have you know gotten more competitive, and there's more teams in the mix come the trade deadline. But it doesn't have the same flair, I don't think, as it as it used to. I mean, there's a lot of deals that are made up to the deadline. We've seen the Maple Leafs do it. We saw Pittsburgh make a trade the other day for uh, Jason Zucker with the uh, Minnesota Wild. But uh, you know, gone are the days. It feels like where there's like 35 trades, and we're just keeping track of all these future considerations and ninth round picks, and you know, the, these fringe prospects that nobody's ever heard of. It doesn't feel like uh, we're in those days uh, anymore. I don't know how you feel about it. Ryan. Everyone's a little more, you know, no one tosses their picks away like candy anymore. But bless your uh, Kukalainen. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and hey, it paid off, right? That's true. Um, but what I would say that's added a little wrinkle to it is, you know, in past years, it was more clearly about, you know, the next two months. You had teams that were either thinking about the next two months or the long, long-term future. Whereas now, like, you look at a team like Montreal, which people are saying, would they trade a guy with, like Tatar, Jeff Petrie, both of whom who have a year left on their contract after this season. Teams are thinking ahead to next season because in this bunched together league even if you're out of it one year you feel like there's a pretty decent chance you could come right back the next year and have a good chance so you're a little more 
reticent to not only let go of some guys, you might even be out there sniffing around for guys who, even though you're not buying for this year, if there's guys in play who have an extra year or two on their contract, you might say, you know what, I'm going to go out and, and trade for this guy because we don't, we're not thinking about this year, but next year we certainly expect to be back in the mix. So let's see if we can make a move right now while all this talk is going on. So yes, like, you know, the the endless like this 32 year old guy who's on an expiring deal for a first round pick you know that's slowed a little and this year in particular there's just not a ton of super exciting names out there um but if if a bunch of teams that aren't even necessarily thinking about the next two months spring into action or the other thing that could happen is a nashville or a minnesota really decides, you know what, we're going to do something right now. Minnesota, obviously, it could be about to enter a serious rebuild retool. And a team like Nashville that thought it would be challenging for the Stanley Cup, if it finds, you know, if it's six points out, eight points out come four days before, I could see them looking at some serious selling options too. Yeah, and the salary cap, uh, salary cap has clearly had an effect on, you know, trades these days, Mark. This is not uh, the early 2000 Maple Leafs under uh, Pat Quinn where they were just trading for every over yeah. 35 player, you know, Brian Leach or Ron Francis and just bringing them in for draft picks. Like there's, uh, you know, some situations now where teams can't, you know, fit in uh, deals and it's money in, money out. And, and that's what we look at with this Maple Leafs team right now that uh, does have some LTI space if they want to use it. Cody Cece, Andreas Janssen currently there alongside uh, Morgan Riley, but uh, it does seem like Morgan Riley is going to be making his return uh, probably late March, so just before the playoffs. Um, so it seems unlikely that uh, the Maple Leafs will do the old Patrick Kane thing with him and keep him out until the playoffs, but but you never know. We know Janssen's going to be out for the rest of the regular season with his knee surgery, and, and Cody Cece, we haven't heard much of an update there. Uh, we know it's uh, uh, an ankle sprain, I believe, and it's going to be out for, for quite some time, um, but at this stage, maybe he heads off to Robidaw Island and uh, the Maple Leafs use that money. So if you combine Cody Cece and uh, you combine Andreas Janssen, who has uh, not yet landed on LTIR, but uh, is expected to, that's close to $8 million that the Maple Leafs could have at their disposal. And as Ryan said, we look at the you know trade candidates out there and there's not a ton of big names. And if we're looking at defensemen specifically that are making a lot of term or a lot of cap, I should say, there's, there's not a ton of those guys out there. So, um, you know, it's good. It's a good advantage for the Maple Leafs to use, and, and I would think that they probably will um, before the trade deadline. But any of these names really jumping off the board to you? I mean, Matt Dumb is a guy that's uh, been thrown out there. Alec Martinez, Brendan Dillon. Like, there's none of these guys that um, I look at on, you know, different trade lists, and I go, yep, that's that's the guy that the Maple Leafs should be targeting there. I think you could make the case for, you know, five or six guys that could be upgrades on their defense right now. It all comes down to price, of course, but at least we know for the time being the Maple Leafs, you know, have some cap space that they can operate with, and they don't have to move out guys on their uh, NHL roster. Yeah, like I've said it before, I don't beggars can't be choosers. Any of those names that you mentioned, Manson, Dylan, et cetera, I think those would be good additions. You just have to kind of find the, the perfect balance and what works for a deal. But I mean, listen, guys, I don't I don't know. I feel like there's not a huge alpha name out there. I mean, I've even heard guys mention like, would you take a, a flyer on a PK Subban, for example, just because everything can't everything that's could possibly go wrong and Jersey's gone wrong this year. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's out there. And I, th I think if you are a, a follower of the Leafs, the one thing that you take some solace in is that in the previous trade that was made with the Kings, you addressed two needs, 
without giving up your most prized assets. So you still have Kapanen if you need to move somebody. Obviously, you don't have the first round pick, which in it just seems to me like in any of these if in any of these deals, the first round pick is gold, if, especially if you want to get a, a proven piece on the back end. But you know, I I don't know. I mean, this is why Kyle Dubas is having the discussions. There might be a name out there that we never even thought of. Like I didn't hear. We all knew that the Leafs needed some sort of stability and goal, and it was you were hearing Gorgiev from the Rangers. You were hearing other veteran backups. I never once heard Jack Campbell's name out there. So we don't know which names are being bandied about behind the scenes. But uh, I'm I'm a little curious to see what's going to happen here because they don't have the first but they do have the other assets that they didn't trade in the other deal so um it's really just a matter of what other teams are looking for if, and if they want you know talent that's already playing in the nhl or on the cusp of being in the nhl on the marlies then i think the leafs have some assets but if you're looking for you know adding no salary and just looking for the future and the picks i i don't know if uh, i don't know how you know, when it comes time to to deal, I don't know how. You know, what other G, what GMs value more, the picks or the 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 players? So we'll have to see what happens. Well, I think with Kyle Dubas specifically in this Maple Leafs organization, Ryan, I think it's pretty clear that they have a certain type of player that they're looking for. Right? They they want guys that can play, and and they said as much with a guy like Kyle Clifford, who you know brings that toughness and brings that grit element, but is an analytics darling, a guy that drives play. Um, so you look at some of these players that are out there. You know, Brendan Dillon is that the type of guy that Kyle Dubas would be looking at. Matt Dumba, of course, who's an offensive force, but you know maybe doesn't have the defensive game that the team's looking for. I think a lot of these guys that are have been linked to the Maple Leafs, I'm not sure a ton of them sort of fit the way that Kyle Dubas envisions this team. And like Mark said, maybe there's a lot of guys that we don't know that are at play whose names aren't out there. But I think that's the big part about this for me is that I look at some of these names and I go doesn't feel like a Kyle Dubas or a Sheldon Keefe type of guy. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, Dumba does get uh, attached to the Leafs a lot. His name has been out there for a few years. And I, I do think, I mean, one thing you look at with the Tyson Berry trade now is you kind of stroke your chin and say, did the Leafs need another offense first guy on the back end? Like what they really need is a um, Jake Muzzin who shoots right. Like it's too bad for them that Jonas Brodeen from Minnesota is is a left D as opposed to a right D because I think that probably comes closest to fitting exactly what they would like. Like a guy who is not flashy, but very responsible, moves the puck, knows what he's doing. You know, you don't notice him because he doesn't mess up and he, and he plays with good pace. I think a guy like that would be perfect, but that's not really the side they're looking for. So I agree that the Leafs do have options, but none of the parts seem to match up. Like there's guys you could probably get on the cheap, but are they the perfect fit? Or there's a guy like Dumba who, yeah, you would trade a captain in for, you would, uh, you know, you would blow the powder you saved to get a guy like that, except yeah. Is he, is he, we only want to do that if it's a real, real great fit. And while Dumba would have value to a lot of teams, he has more value to teams that are, are really looking for talent for teams that are saying, give us skill and we'll, we'll figure out the rest. Cause we don't have enough. The least have a lot of skill. They're looking for guys that they can specifically slot in and say, you know, what we need on the D is we don't need another guy who can tear up the ice. We need another, a, a guy who can take care of business at home. And um, Dumba isn't necessarily that guy. 
Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing with him, and, and it's I've, I have found it very surprising that he has seemingly been linked to the Maple Leafs for a long time now. Yeah. So somebody's putting that out there. It doesn't seem to be speculation um, when it comes to uh, Matt Dumba. It's, it seems like somebody wants that out there, um, but uh, it doesn't seem likely that the Maple Leafs would uh, be landing him at this point. But it does feel like they're going to do something before the uh, trade deadline with the potential to have almost $8 million in cap space to uh, take on some salary here with the uh, guys on LTIR. All right, when we come back, uh, we will uh, switch over to the big story from yesterday. Zach Cashin getting seven games for kicking Eric Turnack in the chest with his skate the other day. Was it too light of a suspension? Should we have expected more or should we have expected less? We'll talk about that on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Ryan Dixon, Mark Boffo on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Hot Stove, Rob Wong, Ryan Dixon, Mark Boffo with you here. Still to come, we'll chat about the Toronto Raptors who are at the All-Star break. They had that lengthy winning streak snapped, but maybe it's for the better that they don't have to have that pressure, talk all about it this weekend at All-Star weekend. The uh, skills comp Saturday night goes this evening on Sportsnet 1 at 8 o'clock. The All-Star game will uh, go tomorrow in Chicago. Team Giannis versus Team LeBron. Of course, Team Giannis will be surrounded by the Raptors, Siakam, Lowry, and uh, Nick Nurse and his coaching staff will be on the bench for that team. We'll also chat a little bit about the Astros' apology, non-apology that we all heard this past week and project what kind of season it might potentially be for them moving forward when they have to uh, take on some of these teams that uh, are not too happy with what they did a couple of years ago and maybe the last few seasons with uh, the cheating scandal there, But yesterday, we uh, finally got the news with regards to Zach Cashin about his suspension, and it is seven games for kicking Tampa Bay's Eric Chernak in the chest with his skate. The other night, he is a guy that uh, has obviously dealt with suspensions before, was suspended uh, just a few weeks ago for his uh, little tussle there with Matthew Kachuk getting a, a couple of games. But uh, this guy's was, you know, something that I don't want to say was polarizing, but it feels like, you know, certain... Uh, you know, different types of hockey people had different views on it, right? It felt like the old school people were like, yeah, like it's dangerous, but like ultimately what did he do? He just pushed him in the chest with the skate. Whereas I think a lot of people are saying, dude, that's like a knife blade on your foot. You can't be just kicking people in the chest, even if it's, you know, not in the neck or in the hand or in the head. Like it's still a super dangerous play. And seven games yesterday, like I mentioned, that's the suspension that the Department of Player Safety handed out. And, you know, depending on the... Uh, type of uh, social media people you follow. I know for me, so a lot of people say that was way too low. Should have been double digits, should have been a lot more um, than that. I thought it was going to be a lot more, um, to be honest with you. That's a super dangerous play, even if the intention wasn't to injure Eric Chernak. It clearly was instinctual, and he was just trying to push him off a, a teammate. Um, but still a super dangerous play from a guy that's done some pretty dangerous things throughout his uh, NHL career. Mark, too much, too little, seven games, right on the spot. Where do you land on uh, the Zach Cashin suspension? You know what? Like, uh, Listen, you can't be doing stuff like that. I'm kind of more in the camp in that I feel like he – pushed off of him and it was it was a bad play it's completely suspendable 
I think he, it should have been double digits. Um, so I'm a little surprised by that, but I'm okay with seven because I think as bad as it was, because it is like the skate going to another, going into another guy. Like I feel like it's more of a push off than like a stabbing motion, but that he definitely deserved some games because of his past history and because of his past and just the fact that he just came back from a suspension, like you mentioned, I thought it was going to be like 10 to 12 games, something, something like that hit the double digits. But, uh, I, you know, I think we knew it was going to be more than five and I'm, I'm okay with seven. I'm okay with the in between five and 10, but you can't be doing that. But I'm also, I think the guy just kind of had his wires crossed a bit and I'm not ready to like crucify him saying like, Oh yeah. You know, he was trying to stab Chernak. Like, you know, I think it was just an unfortunate play, completely suspendable. Um, I'm a little surprised it wasn't double digits. I think it's a double digit suspension. I mean, we see every year the dangers of skate blades. We still have, you know, there's always talk about when are we going to develop a base layer that prevents against things that happen like to Mikheyev. And uh, I forget who just just this past week uh, was cut as well. So we know how dangerous it can be. Part of the reason you can't kick the puck into the net is because the league knows we can't have kicking out there yeah. with skate blades on. And that's with feet that are basically touching the ice. So... Um, I, I take extreme issue with the logic that, well, the result was okay. So let's not, I mean, it was a, it was a bad look and that's a double digit suspension. I mean, last time I checked the chest is still pretty close to the neck. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it'd be interesting to, you know, find out what was on this phone call with Zach Cassian. Cause he would have had to explain himself. Like, what were you trying to do out there? Like what was going through your mind? Um, when this happened, and, and maybe uh, we will find out eventually. I'm sure he'll have to address it at some point. And, you know, give specifics as to you know what was what was going on uh, in that phone call and his chat with player safety. But yeah, it, this is one of those things. Like kicking, uh, like you said, the puck is one thing. Ryan kicking an opposing player is is completely different. We've seen in the past guys like Chris Pronger and Chris Simon, you know, get pretty hefty suspensions for doing um, things that were much much worse. I think in those uh, situations as opposed to this one, but still, you know, pretty dangerous, especially. Um, um, with how, you know, the climate that we're in. And we know, you know, a lot of guys getting cut this year in the last couple of years, just how dangerous that stuff can be. And, you know, for I, I saw this on, you know, people were saying on social media as well, and, and I didn't even really cross my mind, and, and I agree with it now, but, you know, Zach Hashian talking before with his tussles with, you know, Matthew Kachuk talking about, you know, the types of hits that he was throwing out there. And um, it's like, well, you can never call anybody dirty or say, you know, dirty hits anymore because what you did there the other night, kicking Eric Chernak in the chest with your skate, that's about as dirty as it gets. So, you know, this is a case where you have a guy who has a history and a reputation for, you know, playing the game a certain way. And maybe that's why the suspension should have been a lot worse, that you give him double digits, you give him something really hefty, and you hope it, it curbs uh, his uh, you know attitude and the way he goes about the game. Because like we said, this is not the first time that he's had these types of conversations with the Department of Player Safety. This is something that happens annually, seemingly with a guy like Zach Cashin. No, you're right. And that's why I thought it would be double digits as well. I think 12 games would have equated to like 300 grand or something of his salary. And so like, you know, this isn't, you know, a top of the line player. I know he just resigned, but that's a lot of cake, 300 grand for, you know, just to just to get in the suspension. So uh, it's also a really bad look, guys, that you're getting the suspension uh, at a time where you've just lost Connor McDavid. Obviously, completely different players, but if you're losing the best player in the game, you need all hands on deck, especially if you're fighting for a playoff spot. So that's a bad look there too. And 
uh, I just think that you know Pronger got eight games, uh, you know, in the in the two from like 2008 or something like that for stomping on Kessler. I thought that that like I thought that was just precedent enough that it was like eight games for that already, and then you factor in the the reputation. I thought it was a given that it was going to be 10, 12 games, but yeah, I'm a little surprising, but it was, it was surprising to me. But yeah, you just you just kind of you kind of just wonder when he's going to, when he's going to get the hang of it and just kind of realize you can't be doing stuff like that. So are we at a stage, Ryan, where the department of flyer safety, um, do they need to start figuring out, you know, baselines for certain things? I know it's, it's so difficult because each situation is different and they like to, you know, put in the factor of guys that are repeat offenders and have been there before. Um, and you know, the, the PA has to be a big part of this as well. Um, and they don't want their guys, you know, missing time or losing out on money for certain things, but like at some point, there there needs to be cut and dry. Like, okay, if you do this, you get this. As opposed to, well, you haven't done this before, and you look at this, and maybe it's not the same as that, so we can't give you that. Like, there's just so much gray, it feels like, and, and nobody can come to a proper decision on these things. And I, I would say for a large part of these decisions that have been made over the last couple of years under George Paris, they just have not been particularly good as far as, you know, how people have reacted. Maybe the guiding principle just has to be whether it upsets people a little bit within the game um you know skew a little heavier than lighter uh just make because each case like you said tends to be somehow or you can argue because you're essentially arguing you know it's like a court case you've got sides presenting uh you can always argue that you know was a tweak different here or there but maybe the mentality from the top has to be we're just trying to send an overarching message that everyone needs to take health and safety seriously more seriously than we have in the past so when it comes down to it if we're on the fence we're going to go one more game we're going to go two more games rather than finding reasons to get that player back sooner than you might otherwise expect yeah like i, I look at a situation earlier this year where you know garnet hathaway gets suspended three games for spitting on eric and branson spitting's bad i think we all agree with that but Unless, you know, he's spitting out venom or some sort of poison, Eric Branson's going to live and play the next game. But then we see the other night, you know, Zidane Ochara cross-checking yeah. Brendan Gallagher in the neck. That was and a bad it's like, one. hey, uh, that's five grand, buddy. Uh, no games, just five grand. And it's like, well, what? how does that make sense? Like, spitting is awful. It's terrible. Uh, that's not very, that's very unsportsmanlike. But you're not injuring anybody unless, you know, you're doing something crazy and you're spitting like, I don't know, uh, orange juice in somebody's eye and burning their eyes. Sure. Um, but like cross-checking a dude to the neck should be more than a $5,000 fine. Yeah, it's it's not just somebody cross-checking you either. It's Zidane Chara and his like 50-foot stick too. So it's just, you know, it's a, it's a rough look for sure. Yeah, it's just uh, not a great situation when it comes to the uh, Department of Player Safety right now. It seems like they're always getting stuff wrong and, and nobody can agree um, on these things. I want to spend a couple of minutes on uh, a trade that was made just the other day and a firing as well. But the Minnesota Wild, you mentioned it, Ryan, before, um, you know, they're seemingly a busy team. They have some decisions to make here ahead of the trade deadline. They move Jason Zucker out to uh, Pittsburgh, and so far that trade has worked out really, really well. A couple of goals last night, his first as a Penguin, playing alongside Sidney Crosby. That'll do that. Uh, but they fire Bruce Boudreaux, who is the eighth head coach to get fired this year. Uh, we understand that uh, a few of them for different circumstances, but still, that's a lot of coaches to be let go. I think it ties the single season mark in NHL history for coaches to be uh, fired. And uh, we're still a few months left in the season. Yeah. So uh, still some people on the table that uh, could be, um, be, could be uh, let go uh, within the next couple of months. But for uh, Bruce Boudreaux, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, over his career has had a lot of success. And his Minnesota Wild team 
They were giving up a lot of goals, but, you know, it's once again a case, I think, where uh, the goaltending has gotten a coach fired. They just were not getting it. We're from Alex Daylock, uh, Devin Dubnik, we understand, has been dealing with some things off the ice, but um, he has not been very good on the ice this year. And, and Bruce Boudreau, once again, looking for a job. This is going to be one of those guys that's going to be a hot candidate, of course, out there with some of the other big names that are available, too. So um, it's going to be quite the free agent pool, you would have to think, for NHL teams this offseason if they're looking at uh, new coaching candidates. Yeah, absolutely. It should be good to for the coaches to keep driving those salaries up with a, a bunch of guys on the market. Boudreaux has been a guy who tends to get quick results too. So I imagine there will be some teams who are, are looking at him and hoping uh, maybe he can come in and be the kind of guy who, who puts a team over the top in this situation. I mean, I think basically everyone knew uh, inside the organization that his contract was up and that was probably going to be the end of it as, as Minnesota is ready to pivot in a new direction. So they just kind of got out ahead of it a little bit here, but yes, there'll be no shortage of suitors for a guy who uh, has kind of been burned by the no goaltending thing before, certainly going back to his days in Washington. Don't forget that was, he was the guy that the caps and the OV caps first rose under uh, when he came in there. So uh, I imagine there will be a few teams who are are making a call to, to him and um, he'll be back next fall. I'm sure. Yeah. Not many coaches out there with a 635 winning percentage. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty darn good, but that's regular season. A lot of people hold the uh, postseason against Bruce Boudreaux, but uh, still a guy that uh, is going to get a job fairly quickly. You would think uh, once again in the NHL, right? When we return on the sports and the hot stove, we'll kick things off with them. Uh, some Raptors as they are at the all star break. They uh, have won 15 of their last uh, 16 games after losing to the Brooklyn Nets to wrap up the unofficial first half of the season. We'll get into that and uh, we'll chat a little bit about the All-Star Weekend as well. It is the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Ryan Dixon, Mark Boffo on the Sportsnet Radio Network. the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong with you. Joined alongside by Mark Boffo and Ryan Dixon. You can text us 590-590. Just give us your name and your location. We got one about the Toronto Maple Leafs and uh, this person. Please give us your name, location. That'd be great. Helpful. They said, please do not mention P.K. Subban and the Leafs in the same breath. That guy is pathetic defensively. And they also said that I don't care if Jonas Brodeen shoots left. He is perfect for Toronto. And maybe that's the case where the Maple Leafs will be looking at some left shot D and just move some guys to the right side. We remember last year they tried to do it with Jake Muzzin until Mike Babcock was like, yeah, this ain't working out. Uh, not a big fan of it. And uh, moved uh, Muzzin back to the left side. And that's where we have seen him for the majority of his Maple Leafs tenure. But that's possible that the Maple Leafs just look for an upgrade anywhere on defense and shuffle some guys around. Maybe Travis Dermott goes to the right side, Rasmus Sandin. So we shall see the uh, NHL trade dead- deadline coming up. In uh, nine days, February the uh, 24th, we'll have coverage here, of course, on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and on Sportsnet. It is the NBA All-Star Weekend, gentlemen, in windy Chicago. I think the uh, temperatures have been pretty frigid out there so far. Maybe not Toronto bad when it was here three, four years Are ago. Are they all freaking out? They'll never oh, be able to sign a free agent? Maybe. That's possible. Uh, maybe Kawhi Leonard's going to be going there uh, next year. 
because that seems to be how it works. Uh, you have an all-star game in Toronto where everybody hates it, and then a few years later you get uh, Kawhi Leonard, so maybe he'll be a Chicago Bull in a few seasons' time. But all-star weekend for the NBA, definitely still one of my favorites as a kid. Love the dunk contest, love the three-point contest, and I think the game itself is not as competitive as it used to be at times. Um, for me, 2001, that's the most competitive all-star game in any sport I think I've ever seen down the stretch. It was is a lot of fun. It's probably the best NBA all-star game of all time, but I think it's because of the dunk contest and what we're going to see tonight on Saturday night into the all-star game where, you know, with the NBA, they market their players so well. Um, the NBA all-star weekend, there's just something about it. it has seems to have more prestige than uh, other all-star weekends. Don't you think, Mark? I think so. I think a lot of it has to do with just the pomp and circumstance surrounding the different events, not only on the court. I mean, you've got, it's in Chicago this year, so I know that Chance the Rapper is going to be performing at the uh, halftime show. And, you know, they always do a really good job of integrating kind of, you know, just making it more than just the skills competition or the dunk competition. Like, I feel like they always kind of do a good job on the broadcast of incorporating different things to keep view to keep viewers entertained. And, uh, yeah, it just seems to me like, you know, it just it's just always star studded. Like you always see on on Saturday night, the different all stars just taking in the dunk competition and, you know, filming it on their phones and being there with their kids. And, you know, you just see, you know, celebrities just sitting courtside and it's just a huge event. It's a place to be. It's destination. So um, I'm always kind of excited to watch it. And, it, you know, it's a weekend where, where stars are made. I feel like tonight is a lot more intriguing than the game itself. I mean, there's obviously some, uh, a lot more intrigue this year since they switched up the rules and, you know, there's going to be a big, uh, you have to think a big tribute to Kobe Bryant as well. So there's definitely going to be reasons to tune in, but uh, I feel like Saturday night is when, is when names are made and, you, you know, Vince Carter all those years ago, putting himself on the map in the dunk contest. And even more recently in, uh, in Toronto where you had the Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon showdown and you really get to, you really get to be front and center in front of the entire uh, basketball world and all of the basketball fans. And you're kind of just interested to see uh, which of these, uh, which of these young players, uh, you know, shows out tonight. Well, the exciting part about uh, this weekend for Raptors fans, Ryan, is that uh, there's going to be a lot of Toronto uh, flavor in this because Pascal Siak and Kyle Lowry going to the all-star game. Nick Nurse is going to be the head coach and the Raptors are on an absolute tear. And uh, over the last, you know, week or so, they've been getting a lot of publicity for, their lengthy winning streak that came to an end the other night against the uh, Brooklyn Nets. It was snapped at 15 games, but it, it has felt like a lot of people south of the border for, you know, those people that love the American validation. They're getting that right now because uh, I think like every uh, show south of the border on ESPN or Fox Sports was talking about the Raptors when they were chatting NBA. I know uh, Nick Nurse was on Pardon the Interruption the other day. Like the Raptors are um, getting a lot of respect right now because I think a, a lot of people doubted them heading into the season without Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green coming off a championship season. Can they actually, you know, get back to a point where they're in the conversation for um, competing for a title? And uh, I think they're definitely in that now. And, um, you know, for, like I said, all those people that want the people down south to be paying attention to this team, they, they definitely are right now. 15 wins in a row will do that for you, no doubt. Uh, it's just, I mean, obviously the All-Star break is a time to to set back and, and sort of do a 30,000-foot view. And you think about all the different ways this season could have gone for the Raptors from, you know, the summer cries of if Kawhi leaves, blow it up to like, well, maybe they'll be competitive. They should be competitive. They can run it back and then figure it out in a year. 
and to have the team look the way it has. I mean, we're talking about the Leafs having injuries. The Raptors have been peppered with injuries, and it's just nothing has stopped them. I can't help but think they're playing like a very loose team, and I just keep coming back to how struck I am by the difference between, you know, what this team is going to feel like on night one of the playoffs versus how previous editions, and especially the pre-Kawhi era, you know, toward the end of the DeMar chapter was like you were just sitting around to see how it was going to come unglued this time or how it wasn't going to, you know, turn out the Raptors' way. And the answer was always the same, LeBron. But, you know, they just had that feel of a team that was in the big moment not going to end up being uh, the the full value of the sum of the parts. And now it's they're the exact opposite. Like, are the Raptors a true big boy contender when you look at, you know, the Clippers having George and Kawhi, uh, the Lakers having LeBron and Davis, and, you know, Milwaukee having this absolutely from outer space guy? I mean, probably not. But they're going to be a really, really, really tough out. And they're a team that uh, a team like Milwaukee is probably looking at going, all things being equal, we'd probably prefer to take a pass on the Raptors and try our luck with other teams because um, they just know who they are. Um, they, they are unafraid. And and everything is just, you know, every guy that they're counting on for something has either met or exceeded, if it seems to me, the expectations that you would have. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. No, I was just going to say, like, I, you mentioned the streak, Ryan. I think it would have been nice to, you obviously would have liked to have seen them continue it past the All-Star break, but I'm kind of of the opinion that if it was going to get, if it was going to get snapped, that you kind of want it to happen pre-All-Star break, like, let the players, you know, they've been dealing with injuries all year long, like you said, just let the players go on vacation and come back with a fresh slate, not come back to any pressure saying, like, we need to continue the streak, we have to get it to 16 or 17, whatever it would have been. Like, just, you know, come back and just approach it like you've approached it all year, where you're coming you're coming back fresh, look look to the next couple games on, on the schedule, and just keep on doing your thing. Like, it just seems like as much as people count out this team, they just use it as fuel. And you're right, like, they... You know, I'm not ready to anoint them back-to-back champions here, but they don't feel like they're going to be intimidated by any team that faces them. And it it might actually be uh, different this year round where other teams are actually fearing them, knowing that they have a championship pedigree. And, you know, you lose Kawhi, but Pascal Siakam takes the next step. Norm Powell uh, took a next step this year. And, you know, you get guys like Terrence Davis and, and, and Freddie is also taking another step, continuing right where he left off from the playoffs. So there's a lot to like about the team. And I think management was right there with them and that there's a lot to like by uh, standing pat at the trade deadline. Yeah, I think it's a great point that Ryan makes that they're a team that just seems to be playing loose. And I think coming off that championship really took the pressure off a lot of these guys where it's like, we got it done. So like, you know. How I, we can't get any better. Like, we can run it back and, and try to win it again. But, hey, look, we got it done. Let's just go out there and do what we do. And whatever happens, happens. And there's not that, you know, you know rain cloud hanging over them anymore where it's like, okay, How we didn't get it done last year. Yeah. Like, we, we fell short last year. Like, oh, it's on us to get back there. And we don't have Kawhi anymore. Like, you, the doubt starts creeping in. And now it's just, hey, we did it. We got the job done. We're a good team. We know that. Let's go out there, do what we do, and, and you know, um, let the cards play out. So I think there's a, there's a big aspect to that. And I think what we've seen from this Raptors organization, um, just on the whole, it's, you know, really 
validates the whole synergy and uh, validates identity and, and the, the culture that they're trying to build. They have you know gone about this a certain way. And I look at guys like Ronnie Hollis Jefferson and players like that that have you know come to this team new and have bought in. Terrence Davis, another guy who uh, you know as an undrafted rookie signed him out of summer league. You know he's had his bumps along the way, but he's fit in seamlessly to this uh, program and, and to this organization. And you know I just I don't want to bring this back to the Leafs, but I will because you know Kyle Dubas you know loves the Raptors. Went to a lot of games last year. He talks a lot with Bobby Webster, the GM of the Raptors, and I think it's pretty clear that he's trying to do something similar over there as well, trying to build his program, build an organization, have synergy from the top down. He finally has his coach in place in Sheldon Keefe, and that's something that the Raptors have been doing for a while here where, you know, Masai Ujiri had Dwayne Casey before, but Nick Nurse was a part of the organization, and that that trend has sort of continued over the last couple of years where they want to play a certain way, they want to bring in certain types of players to fit that system, and if you don't want to play this way or you can't fit it, well, we're just going to move on from you and, you know, look for somebody else. So um, you, you got to love that aspect where the Raptors um, are one of the franchises right now. I think you could make the argument that they're the best run franchise right now in, in the NBA. Well, look how bad people want Masai, right? Yeah. I mean, that tells you something. People want Masai and, uh, you know, maybe people want Masai to bring on a guy like Bobby Webster and Nick Nurse. But you look at the way their franchises run now and championship aside, I mean, just the length of success that this organization has had for the last five, six years, Mark, it's, it's unparalleled, you know, outside of the, you know, the elite, elite teams in the NBA, whether it's Golden State or San Antonio or some of these other teams. I mean, the Raptors are in that conversation. For sure, they've been you know they've been a perennial playoff team. It seems like this entire decade, except maybe for the first couple of years. But Dwayne Casey and now Nick Nurse have you know coached this team uh, very well in this whole last ten years, and it obviously looks like it'll continue into you know at least the first couple of years of this decade. Um, I was kind of impressed early in the season, or even before that, in training camp where where. You heard Nick Nurse kind of call out Hollis Jefferson and, and Stanley Johnson just to say, like, listen, they need to be more engaged defensively. I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, like, you know, we have a way of doing things here. We went through the gauntlet of the NBA playoffs and came back with a ring. And it just kind of seems like every the confidence is just so contagious throughout the whole team. Like, Nick Nurse gets that ring, and instead of being a coach where – you know, he's coming in and trying to figure out what what buttons to push in his first year as head coach. Like now he's he came in the season saying, like, I've got a summer with Canada basketball under my belt. I've just won a championship. I, he's grown as a coach and gotten more confident. And when training camp came around, it wasn't like, oh, hey, like I'm just trying to, you know, establish myself and get him, you know, hit the ground running here, see what I have in this team. It's like, no, we have the pedigree now. We've been there, done that, and we do things a certain way around here. And it's just kind of like they're not afraid to to show out and say our organization has been one of the best ones in the NBA, and that goes for and that goes for new additions to the team. We have a way of doing things around here. We have a culture in place, and I don't care if you're on a ten day or signing like a five year max deal. We have to all buy in because we've seen what 
you know, what buying in, what you can accomplish. And that's the biggest goal there is in the championship. Honestly, one of the things I'm most excited about for this All-Star weekend and, and the game specifically tomorrow is just that uh, there's going to be a lot of chatter about how good of a coach Nick Nurse is. And not that he, you know, hasn't gotten his due. I think people that cover the game, a lot of people that, you know, watch what the Raptors did last year, um, you know, that NBA Finals, of course, the janky defense that Steph Curry talked about. You know, Nick Nurse clearly is one of the better coaches uh, in the NBA. For me, I think this year is the coach of the year as far as front runners go, considering all the injuries that this Raptors team has dealt with. And for them to go on a fifth game winning streak and to be where they are in the standings despite missing so many man games to you know key players it has said a lot about you know what Nick Nurse has done the personnel of course you know is plays a big role in that you can't have uh, good teams and good coaches without um, good players but this is a guy you know we talk a lot about coaches that aren't willing to make adjustments this guy makes adjustments on the fly this guy's willing to try different things and if it doesn't work he's willing to try it again to, to see if it actually just was a one game uh, misstep or what have you but you know Nick Nurse is about as innovative as it gets and uh, I love the fact that he's going to get some you know big time due this weekend uh, at All-Star Weekend Ryan. Yeah absolutely I mean it just seems like it's been a great fit from the time he started and I think you touched on the key thing the adjustments right uh, Dwayne Casey was very much a guy who uh, you know this is what we do give it time it's going to work and y- you can understand that approach of you know trying to play to your team's strengths but I think you know, his ability to to adjust on the fly, to tinker a bit. Um, I, I think you quickly earn the player's respect by demonstrating how much you know about what's going on. And, uh, you know, at that point, you've got their ear. So, yeah, you're right. You look around the league, he, he is the coach of the year candidate, right? I mean, it, it seems like uh, the rest of the teams with a record like Toronto's, you know, were sort of expected to have a record like that. So... Um, I think uh, on the whole, given like how, how much it feels like he impacts the team day to day, I think he would be the front runner. Mark, anybody uh, in front of Nick Nurse when it comes to coach of the year right now? Honestly, no. Like you've, you, they have every excuse to be a 500 team right now and they just aren't. And uh, that just goes to show you just how much the team's grown under, under Nick Nurse not being afraid to make those adjustments. And yeah, like I hate to just, you know, make it boring radio here, but with all the injuries and and everything that happened, like I'm in agreement with you guys. I don't see how anybody else could be coach of the year. I mean, who, who, who else would be in the conversation for you guys? I, I, Spolstra maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he's a great candidate too, but I just feel like, you know, the conversation, even I was listening to, to Alvin Williams on the station yesterday and it was just like, Honestly, no. Like I wasn't expecting it to be for them to be this good. Like yeah, that was the na- seven seed or what? Maybe maybe push him for home court. But. Yeah, like that was the narrative, and it was like you know what you got your title and you're playing with house money right now this season. Let's see what happens. And nobody is just content with trudging along and getting into the playoffs. They're they're a team for a reason. They aren't just one guy. They aren't just Kawhi Leonard. So. Uh, for me, it's Nick Nurse's coach of the year, and I just think he's had everybody buying in from the get-go this season. It just occurred to me that the Leafs could play the Bruins in the first round, <laughs> lose that series, and then in the second round of the NBA play- playoffs, we could get Raptors-Celtics oh. and uh, a Toronto-Boston encore. Um, maybe the Leafs would beat the Bruins, but it feels like there's a world where there would be some 
sour people here uh, with regard to the city of Boston and then be like, okay, now it's time for the Raptors to play the Celtics. I'll say this about the Celtics. I mean, I thought they were a little bit of an afterthought. I thought it was coming down to Milwaukee and Toronto and a little bit of a shout out to the Heat in the East. But uh, the way they played against the Clippers the other night, it just showed me that they can get to another level too. So not uh, always, you know, always full of intrigue. We'll have to see where the the seeding, you know, where it lies here. But uh, it should be a fun playoff uh, playoffs in the East for sure. Yeah. Which is not something we've been able to say for so long in the NBA too, right? We've entered the past 10 seasons with, uh, uh, you know, one team out there that you thought, well, if this team doesn't win, it's going to be a shock. And uh, it's fun that the the NBA, I mean, obviously you have your favorites, but, you know, when when is the last time it would have been pre-LeBron going to Miami that you could look around and say, you know what, I, I could maybe make a case for seven teams. Yeah, that's what's great about, uh, you know, the NBA right now, the Eastern Conference specifically. There's a lot of teams in that mix and uh, Boston just a game and a half back of the uh, Toronto Raptors for second place right now in the East. So um, they are still definitely in the mix with the uh, final few months of the season left to play. Uh, seeing a tweet from uh, Vivek Jacob of uh, Raptors Republic. He said, Kyle Lowry was just asked on NBA TV about who the DJ in the locker room is and said, he just knows it can't be OG Ananobi that uh, OG is the absolute worst uh, DJ on the team. So it uh, just gives you a little bit of insight uh, on the chemistry going on with this uh, Raptors team. We saw the scarf stuff last week, Serge giving out scarves to everybody so um something to be said about team chemistry and uh you know enjoying showing up to work every day and, and playing with a bunch of guys that uh you enjoy being around and uh, that's what we're seeing right now with this raptors team 40 and 15 at the break as they are sitting in second place right now in the eastern conference the uh, all-star game will go tomorrow but the uh, skills competition the uh, saturday night will go this evening in chicago the dunk contest the skills uh real not even the relay it's like the the skills um competition there with the the dribbling and the passing and the layups and then we of course got the three-point competition which has kind of taken over as the uh, marquee event these days at uh, all-star weekend the dunk contest still has uh, some cachet but the three-point contest definitely stands out we'll talk a little bit about that as we continue here on the sportsnet hot stove rob wong ryan dixon mark boffo on the sportsnet radio network sportsnet 590 the fan Sportsnet Hot Stove, Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, Ryan Dixon here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Got a couple of texts at 590-590. A pretty lengthy one here from uh, Greg in Mississauga. So we'll have to uh, allocate about 15 minutes for it. But uh, we appreciate the text, Greg. says, uh, I understand we are discussing Raptors. My take on them is that they'll be just fine continuing through the second half of the regular season. Uh, these guys see that the fans... Make all of these guys a star in this franchise. We love everybody from the bench up, and that is why they will be successful. Also has a take on the Maple Leafs uh, that the GM, Kyle Dubas, needs to make a big, bold move, stop listening to what the fans think, get a uh, PK Subban to play defense. That's what this team is missing, and stop blaming the goalie. That's what we do, Greg. We blame the goalies when uh, the pucks go in the back of the net. We're getting another text from an unknown person. They said Nick Nurse was not Masai's first choice. He can't remember who it was. It was actually Mike Budenholzer who went to the Milwaukee Bucks and uh, the Raptors defeated them last year. So not a great look for Mike, but uh, he could have the last laugh this year. This Bucks team once again in first place. And uh, 
I think by a lot of accounts, are the best team in the East and one of the best teams in the NBA. So they have a pretty good shot at representing the East, but the Raptors will definitely have something to say about that. But uh, this All-Star weekend, it will be the Bucks and the Raptors teaming up because uh, Team Giannis has Giannis and Tedekumpo alongside Chris Middleton, Pascal Siakam, and uh, Kyle Lowry coached by uh, Nick Nurse. So that will be pretty, pretty cool. But tonight, it is the All-Star weekend, and you can watch it at 8 o'clock on Sportsnet 1 the three-point shootout, the slam dunk competition, of course. I'm sure there's going to be some other uh, interesting things along the way, as there always is at uh, NBA All-Star Weekend. But uh, the dunk contest, guys, was 20 years ago. Vince Carter cramming it down in Oakland in the Bay Area, putting himself on the map. And the dunk contest has always been probably the marquee events of All-Star Weekend. But the last couple of years, it's been the three-point shootout. And it's because three-point shots have become so regular in this game and a lot of entertainment we know this year they're adding a distance shot so you got to shoot even further out and um, you can get a couple more extra money balls so they're adding that wrinkle to the uh, three-point contest but uh, it's it's I've been trying to equate it to something else where you know maybe there was one competition at all-star weekend that nobody really cared about and then all of a sudden it's like more exciting than you know the dunk contest which is still the headline event it's still the one that goes last but the three-point shootout mark has become you know one of those events that you actually tune in probably because so many guys have a chance at winning it and there's so many marquee names taking part as well that's just it like you know for it's tough to get the top players to commit to the dunk competition i mean it's easy to look back now and say oh vince carter was a huge star but like really at the time you know that's really what vaulted him into the stratosphere of being a superstar in the nba was the slam dunk competition and you're right like it's just the who's who of three-point shooters just seem to show up for the three-point competition only because like a little less strain on the body you're not you know just jump in to cram it down and do all these crazy theatrics. It's just a full on like shooting contest. So yeah, there always is a lot of intrigue in it. And I believe it was Joe Harris who took it last year. Like that's the thing. Like it doesn't have to be Steph Curry. It can be one of the lesser names. And, you know, since Joe Harris won it last year, I think people have just, you know, anointed him one of the best three point shooters in in uh, the NBA, not saying he wasn't a bad, a good, he was a great shooter before the three point competition, but you know, just with all the fanfare that comes at the weekend, uh, he, he gets the crown and you know, now he kind of, when you're mentioning the best shooters in the league, he's one of the guys that you think of from beyond the arc. So um, like we mentioned last segment, this weekend always seems to make stars out of guys uh, depending on how they fare on the big stage. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen tonight. Yeah, the, the three-point contest, right? it almost felt like for many years sort of the freak show contest. It's like all these guys do are, you know, they're just shooters and they show up to this event and they hit shots and it's great. But when it comes to the actual, you know, game of basketball, there are a lot of guys that are great shooters, but maybe they're not great defensive players or just great players in general. Now you've got superstar players taking part in these three-point contests, whether it's, you know, Clay Thompson or Steph Curry in years past or, you know, Damian Lillard, who's not taking part now. But, you know, guys like that, you're getting like the elite echelon names taking part in this contest once again yeah and i think as you mentioned because it's become it's so quickly become such an integral part of the way the game is actually played the the significance of it has come up so much right so you're right it used to just kind of be like oh the guy the, the seventh guy on the bench oh but actually you know he's crazy beyond the arc so you know it was kind of their moment to shine um with respect to the dunk contest, though, we have to give a shout out to uh, with it being in Chicago this year, the 88 dunk contest. 
speaking of like bringing people to prominence again, I mean, certainly Michael Jordan was already a, a huge, huge star in the NBA, but it was that dunk contest and, and a duel with Dominique Wilkins in Chicago. That was just absolutely, you know, mind blowing. And at a time where, I mean, I feel like that really, really um, vaulted the NBA onto, um, you know, we, it, it wasn't, it became a much more um, prominent and 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 widespread sport around that time, the Bird and Magic era, and that was just another step in it growing because that was before you know Jordan had led the Bulls to all those championships. So there'll definitely be, I'm sure, some some reminiscing about that crazy contest that happened uh, in 88, which I'm guessing was probably the last time the All-Star game was in Chicago. Yeah, it's been a long time for sure uh, since it was there. And, you know, the dunk contest, I can think of so many throughout the years, whether it's Vince Carter, like you mentioned, you know, I didn't see it live. I was two years old, but uh, getting to watch, you know, Jordan and Dr. J on videotape on VHS. And of course you can see now on YouTube and online. Um, but for so many years, I mean, the dunk contest, whether it was Vince Carter or Jason Richardson had some crazy years, the Nate Robinson, and Dwight Howard years, and we're going to see Dwight Howard uh, back out there tonight, which is going to be some pretty cool and a nice little nostalgic moment there. But, um, you know, the dunk contest is one of those things that, you know, you're just always going to remember, good or bad. Uh, I can still think of, you know, Chris Anderson being out there, Birdman, and just struggling to put down a dunk. But it was kind of, like, entertaining to watch this guy at least go out there and make a bit of a fool of himself. Uh, I think of, you know, Gerald Green blowing out the, the, uh, the candle on the cupcake. Like, the dunk contest has just given so many moments to basketball fans, good or bad that you're still tuning in like every every year everybody's like yeah this is probably gonna be the year it's not very good we understand and then you still watch it anyways because you just want to see what's going to happen i love just seeing the reactions of the other players that aren't participating it's almost like a rite of passage like you see like Shaq's jaw just drop when vince was dropping those dunks and you're just like oh yeah like when you just it's it's like getting the it's like getting uh you know, the voted MVP by your peers, but like right there in like one shot, you know, it's just everybody just is encapsulated by what you do. So um, I just, yeah, I, I I get suckered into it every, every year, Rob, just like you said, even if it's, you know, not the biggest names participating, you're always just kind of, you don't want to, you don't want to be the guy that misses that epic dunk live. You kind of want to see it for yourself. I think the dunk contest needs to be expanded. It needs to be more than just four guys. Like, I, I think you should have at least six or eight guys because I think what we've seen, the issue in years past is, you know, some guys, they don't get down their first early dunks and then they don't get to move on to the next part of the competition where maybe they saved up some better stuff. Whereas, you know, you have more guys out there, you have more of a chance at maybe seeing some crazy stuff and it just opens up the competition more, makes it more exciting. So I don't think four guys are, are enough in the slam dunk contest. I'd like to see it open up more. And I'd also like to see it open up more to, you know, guys whose specialty is dunking. Like yeah. we'll see that tonight. Derek Jones Jr. is a guy. Aaron Gordon, of course, is super supremely talented. We saw him here in Toronto a few years ago. Um, but like Dwight Howard, it's fun. And I like the nostalgia aspect, but like, is that really his thing nowadays? Like we know, you know, you go on YouTube and there's professional dunkers and people doing like that. I'd rather see guys that, you know, we were talking about the three point shot before where, you know, back in the day, it was like the ninth man off the bench or the seventh man. And like his specialty was shooting. And yeah, you still see those guys take part in those contests now, but give me the 15th man on an NBA roster of his thing is like doing crazy dunks. Like it's the slam dunk contest. It's not the, you know, how well is a guy that's still pretty good player able to throw down some of these dunks? Like we get some special cases with Aaron Gordon and, you know, guys in, in past like Vince Carter, 
but I just want to see some cool stuff. Like, I think we're at a point now where we've seen a lot of things, but I want to see, like, stuff we've never seen before. When did Blake Griffin jump over a car? How many years ago? Uh, <laughs> it was less than, like, 10 years ago, but yeah. Like, I'm kind, like to that. be honest with you, I'm kind of torn. Like, the gimmicky props ones, often I'm like, I don't know. I just give me the, like under the leg or the 360s like i'm a traditionalist just pull off i mean be inventive for sure but you know the cupcakes i don't know um i just feel like there's some guys that yeah, we but have for no sure, idea people who specialize about. absolutely yeah, i just, agree like yeah. there's some guys in the nba where like i've never seen this guy play a minute of basketball but show me what he can do but in the yeah. practice sessions or like you know just after practice like this guy's probably doing some crazy stuff yeah. and we have no idea like i think of you know og ananobi last year in the rising stars game at the end of the game he almost threw down a 360 between the legs dunk and it was like where did that come from yeah. like i know this guy's crazy athleticism but like og's never going to be a guy that is you know, probably going to sniff this competition. It's like, think about how many players in the NBA have that ability to uh, do these types of things that we're just never going to know about because they're more interested in, you know, getting some of these other guys. And and maybe it's a case, Mark, where guys have been offered to take part and they're just like, no, like, I don't want to be a part of it. But I'm sure there's a ton of guys that are like, yeah, like I would totally do it, even though nobody's ever heard of me. I just think that I can't remember who told me this a, a couple years ago, but I and, you know, it's not like it's written in stone, but I kind of agree with it in that, I, we were talking about just the NBA All-Star Weekend in general, and they brought up the point how it's like, I think a lot of people, a lot of the top players are hesitant to commit to the events, especially the slam dunk competition, because like you kind of mentioned with that Chris Anderson thing, it's like, you're so good and look, you're so well respected. And it's like, I don't want to be like LeBron James and like go up there for that dunk. And then, the off chances I just miss it and I just, you know, look like a yeah. fool in or front of everybody. Lose. Or you lose, yeah. right? Like you're kind of on that pedestal where it's like, I'm so good. Like I don't want to be knocked down a few pegs. So I think that has something to do with it. I always bring up, you know, I remember, I can't even remember what year it was, but they they interviewed LeBron James on the sidelines during the, uh, during the slam dunk competition. He's like, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, put my put my head <laughs> my hat in the ring uh for next year, you know, we're thinking about it and just it never ended up happening. So, I kind of uh I kind of see it from both sides how you kind of want to make the next generation and kind of give the spotlight to some new stars, but you know, if you're an NBA fan, you definitely want to see a bit more of a a star aspect out there. I mean, we have it in the three-point competition, Rob, like you mentioned and you're talking about how that's kind of been a, a go-to event that people have their eyes on now. So I realize it's easier said than done just getting the bigger names to commit to the slam dunk competition, but maybe with some sort of change in format, some sort of revamping, like maybe you bring back, uh, maybe there's a category around with, you know, past champions or something like that or past participants. Like I have no idea, but yeah, um, yeah there's no, it's, you're, it always seems in every sport we're looking for ways to revamp the different all-star games. And I think right now the NBA does a pretty good job with theirs, but I feel like you're always kind of thinking about what the next change will be. Well, we do see it in, you know, the, this all-star weekend. We'll see some guys that aren't in the all-star game itself taking part in the three-point shootout and the slam dunk. We see it in, you know, Major League Baseball's home run derby where there's guys that uh, aren't taking part in the game, but they're out there slugging away like we saw last year with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, uh, I understand it's the all-star weekend, but when you get down to like the skills competition, for me, it still should be about let's showcase like the players.
players around the league, and these are the skills that they're incredibly good at. I know he wasn't in the NHL at the time, but how cool would it have been if Martin Furk was in the hardest shot competition? You're like, Martin Furk? Like, why is this guy here? And he hits 109. You're like, oh, I get it now. And it's like, wow, I've never heard of this guy, or a lot of people never heard of this guy, but this is the type of skills and talents that he has. Like, um, I, I can't imagine the NHL ever would have done that, but, you know, for their All-Star Weekend, that could be one way you could spice it up where you feature some other guys that, you know, aren't actually taking part in the game, but they're here for one reason. It was Dylan Larkin a couple of years ago wasn't in the game. He was like one of the young stars yeah. stuff, but he wasn't in the actual all-star game, but they had him take part in the, in the fastest skater. The thing too is those fringe guys, they're thrilled to be there. We just talked about how exciting the NBA all-star weekend is like, you know, there's a lot of guys uh, and certainly in hockey who probably would rather go to the beach than go to the all-star weekend. But if you're a guy who's never going to sniff it in terms of just being a player, but you get to come for a night I mean, how many guys around the league who are, uh, you know, a bench player but can throw down in the in the three-point contest or in the dunk contest would be like, are you kidding? Absolutely. I'd love to uh, rub shoulders with Jay-Z and Beyonce uh, and P.S. <laughs> let's see if I can uh, drop their jaw with, with, you know, showing what I can do. So I think people, you know, those types of players who don't get the spotlight often would be over the moon for that chance. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to showcase the talent across the league, and uh, we'll see that tonight. Should be a lot of fun in Chicago. All-Star Saturday night. We'll have coverage beginning at 8 o'clock on Sportsnet 1. Final segment of uh, the Sportsnet Hot Stove coming up, and we'll uh, chat about the Houston Astros, who uh, attempted to apologize this past week for the uh, cheating scandal. Didn't go over too well. We'll talk about it next here on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Ryan Dixon, Mark Boffo on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. segment of the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Mark Boffel, Ryan Dixon with you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Got a uh, text at 590-590. And uh, do we know who this person is? We have not figured it out yet. I have no idea. It's my new best friend, apparently. Apparently. But this person said uh, when Pearl Jam played last at Wrigley Field, the Cubs won a World Series with Pearl Jam headed to the uh, Scotiabank Arena in March. That is a good sign for a Raptors repeat. Then you, Mark Boffo, can call the uh, Rage Against the Machine a victory concert. So uh, this person seems to know you because they know you're going. So Honestly, like... If that scenario happened, like 2020, we're off to an insanely great start to yeah. the decade. Who cares about Bon Jovi getting a banner at uh, Scotiabank Arena? Pearl Jam should be getting a, a banner at Scotiabank Arena for uh, what they're able to accomplish there. So this past week, we uh, saw the Houston Astros, some of their players, Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve, their owner, Jim Crane, attempt to apologize for the uh, cheating scandal, although Jim Crane didn't seem to know what he was apologizing for because, uh, you know, Stein stealing doesn't impact the game. I didn't say it didn't impact the game, even though 55 seconds earlier I said uh, it imp impacted the game. But, you know, at this stage, you know, what is there left to be said about the Houston Astros guys? Nobody likes this organization. Their players cheated. They're the most hated franchise right now in all of baseball, maybe even all of, you know, professional sports at this moment um, with their lack of accountability and, and, you know, the way they're going about their business uh, right now. And we were just talking about this before we came back, but 
you know, bean balls are definitely going to be at play this year. And I uh, just saw a, uh, a piece come across on ESPN that Dusty Baker, the new manager of the Houston Astros, is urging Major League Baseball, uh, urging Major League Baseball to protect his players from bean balls and retaliation this year. You have to think Major League Baseball has thought about this and trying to figure out how do we curb this? Because, yeah, we don't want other teams throwing at Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman and potentially injuring them, you know, hitting them in the head or what have you. We know bean balls are bad and they should not happen. This is a situation, though, where it feels like a lot of players are going to take the justice into their own hands. I'm kind of hoping we see it opening day that, uh, you know, somebody's going to throw behind an Altuve or an Alex, Alex Bregman and there's going to be that drama. I mean, there already is that drama heading into these games anyways, how other teams are going to react. But right off the hop, like we could have something. St- Heck, we could have some stuff in spring training for all we know in uh, a week's time. So the Houston Astros are in a spot here where, you know, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, guys like that. I mean, what can you really say, right? Like you're stepping in the box. Everybody knows what you did. So if someone wants to take matters in their own hand, like, can you really blame them for, you know, wanting to do this kind of stuff? It's not great, but I can understand where other teams are coming from. Well, everyone was already mad before the non-apologies, right? And you just take the temperature around. I mean, obviously it was the the topic du jour around training camps. And you can tell, like, players are mad. The Dodgers legit feel like they had a World Series snatch from them in 2017. Um, you know, uh, Bellinger was saying that, um, you know, Judge had the MVP stolen from him by Altuve. Like, this is high-stakes stuff, and people are really, really mad. And now, not only did they not get the justice they were hoping for from the league, you've got, you know, some version of a shoulder shrug coming from Astros' ownership. This is all... Uh, teeing up to be uh, <laughs> a little painful, I think, for some of those Astros batters. Well, interesting, uh, Mark, seeing Ross Stripling, Dodgers pitcher the other day, when asked uh, whether he would consider throwing at Astros batters, he said, I would lean toward yes in the right time and the right place. It's pretty rare that you see players come up and be like, yeah, I'm going to throw at dudes. Like, it's most likely going to happen. So, um, you know, I think players talk to each other, pitchers talk to each other around the league. Everybody has friends and this seems like it's going to happen. I was joking last week that uh, if there's a prop bet you can take on Astros hitters getting uh, hit by pitches this year, hammer the over because uh, it feels like that's going to be a pretty high number. For sure. And honestly, since this whole scandal broke, the Astros just seem to be digging the hole deeper and deeper for themselves. Like it was already one thing that the punishments weren't super severe. I mean, I know that it caused guys to lose their jobs but in terms of the Astros organization it's not like they got stripped of the title and does Jim Crane really care that he's got to pay like a five million dollar fine like that's that's pennies for him so I uh the whole thing for me guys is just how cocky and arrogant the team was while all this was going on and now ever ever since everything's come out they remained cocky and then they kind of trotted out their best players out there the other day to backtrack for them. And it was just kind of like, guys, like I, I kind of, I appreciate you coming out to face the music now, but it's a little too late. Like Cody Bellinger said it all with the, with his comments about them taking the the title away uh, from the Dodgers, Altuve taking an MVP away from judge, like Ryan had mentioned, like it goes deeper than just wins and losses. Like it's the integrity of the game. And Honestly, I feel like Major League Baseball, not just the Astros, is are going to come under fire for this too because uh, clearly 
a lot of the players, like you mentioned, with Stripling and other guys and, and Bellinger, and, you know, they're not being there's no muzzle in these comments. Like they're not the guarded athletes. They're coming right out saying what they feel. And if you're major league baseball, I mean, you're right with the, with the bean balls and stuff like that. It's not something you want to hear, but if you're major league baseball, like you kind of have to say, like, I can't really blame the guys for saying stuff like that because this is a huge scandal. That's marred the game. Yeah. And maybe Ryan, it's only going to be in specific situations. You know, Trevor Bowers has been a guy that's been very outspoken. Maybe it's, you know, Astros and Indians games. Maybe it's going to be Astros Dodgers games. I doubt we're going to see something happen in an Astros, you know, Mariners game. Like there's really not that heat there, but maybe there is. Maybe players are just like, you guys cheated against us for many years. We're going to take matters into our own hands and, you know, get our uh, pound of flesh here uh, because of that. And maybe it's a case where, you know, every team gets their one shot and then after that it's kind of done with. Sure. Like is is every time that the Astros play the Dodgers this year, there's going to be a brouhaha, there's going to be a bench-clearing brawl because someone took a beanball? Probably not. But I wouldn't be shocked if, like, every team in the first game they play against the Astros, there's maybe one a little high and tight. Maybe somebody gets hit in the leg or the ball gets thrown behind them. Maybe that's what happens here. Where every team gets their one shot, and then they just move on after that, and, you know, they don't make much of it. Well, and, you know, as much as... Which every, sounds crazy, even though I just said that. Well, and, those, you know, the pitchers on the opposing teams know it's going to escalate, too, uh, and, and don't want to put their guys necessarily in the line of fire by pushing it, so... Uh, we'll see, but there's a lot of animosity out there, and it's, I mean, tone deaf is the only phrase I can think of. I mean, I do, at this point, I don't know how you don't come out and just come clean and say, I mean, people's willingness to forgive actually uh, is is usually pretty strong, but when you do this little song and dance, uh-uh, and um, people are really mad about it, and I don't think it's going away. Yeah, and that's the thing, uh, quickly, Mark, that, you know, these guys right now, Altuve, Bregman, um, Jim Crane, you know, maybe he'll never be able to live this down, but the players specifically, I've seen Alex Rodriguez, you know, have a complete 180. Everybody loves Alex Rodriguez now. This is a guy that was hated for many, many years. Even Barry Bonds was hated for many, many years. People love those guys now, right? Thinking about their careers and looking back, but those guys cheated, right? PEDs, that's a little bit different, not sign stealing, but those guys were able to remake their, you know, um, how people viewed them. I, Maybe over time, you know, people look back at Altuve and Bregman and have similar feelings about them and be like, wow, those guys are really good players. But, um, you know, not apologizing or apologizing but not apologizing doesn't help. Just come out, come clean, and, you know, that will help repair your image, you would think. You know what? It's, it's really going to come down to performance. If Alex Bregman, I mean, Altuve is a little longer in the tooth, but if somebody like Alex Bregman uh, continues on his trajectory, you know, both pre and post uh, trash can, um, you know, maybe maybe people give him the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, this guy was always a really good hitter and, and he's continuing right on, right where he left off from. But it's just hard to give them the benefit of the doubt when, you know, the scandal's as big as it was and you hear players coming out saying they don't think it was just 2017. They think they were cheating for three years. So it's going to be really tough to reverse... Uh, reverse those thoughts in the minds of players and the fans. Yeah, these guys are on Hall of Fame tracks as well. So uh, you wonder if that puts it into question uh, when we get there. But should be a lot of fun. It's definitely going to be one of the more entertaining baseball seasons in recent memory. Thanks for uh, doing it, Ryan. Appreciate it as always. Thanks to Mark Boffo as well. I'm Rob Wong. Coming up, we'll switch over to Sportsnet today, kick things off with the 411. We'll also be joined by Ian Tully, contributor at The Athletic, and Paul Jones, as I will chat a little bit of Raptors at the All-Star break. More to come. It is Sportsnet today, next on the Sportsnet Radio Network.